And so I'm here to try and help us think about how those words and those writings of Paul 2,000 years ago to the people of Colossae, which is in, in modern-day Turkey, has some relevance to us. And it requires a little bit of work from me and it requires a little bit of work from you because it's quite a technical passage. So I would love if you... Uh, there's a number of ways you can engage with it. One is just to really uh, listen very carefully. Another is uh, to read the passage uh, in your Bible if you have one or on your phone if you've got one because we're right in stuck now, right in the, some of the meat of the middle of this letter to the church in Colossae. And what is interesting about this letter is that Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. He's writing to a church. We are a church. We are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you're very welcome to be here. We always invite people to follow Jesus. And so it's written really to us. But we have to do a little bit of work to try and get it into our minds, our lives, and apply it to our situations. Are you okay for that? So these people in Colossae, they wanted to please God, and they wanted to live right. They wanted to lead God-pleasing lives. That was their desire. They wanted to please God, but they were going about it in a way that wasn't working, which is why Paul is writing to them. There's a number of things that they were doing, uh, which he critiques. And I think this, what I'd like to do today is basically outline what they were doing and then give you a summary of why that why Paul is writing to them and, and saying, look, this is not working. And then I'd like to give you six technical, more detailed reasons from the verses as to why Paul is saying it's not working. So what were they doing? What were these lovely people in Colossae doing that wasn't working? If you've uh, paid attention to the reading, I know it's quite easy to zone out when people are, are reading or if you've, you've got it uh, in front of you. There's a number of things that they were doing that weren't working. Uh, the first one is that they were avoiding things that they didn't need to avoid. Paul says, he's sort of quoting them, oh, don't touch, don't handle, don't taste. They, there were certain probably foods that they were thinking that would have become unclean by. Some of those were uh, a mixture of uh, Jewish background believers, Gentile background believers. But the laws of the Old Testament bring brought and the ceremonial laws around uh, meat and other things which would make you unclean. They're still saying... Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle those things. So one of the things that they were doing is that they were avoiding things they didn't need to avoid. The second thing that they were doing was that they had uh, this harsh treatment of their bodies. The 
verse 23, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. It sounds as though in order to try and be disciplined, in order to be God-pleasing, that they were going to extreme length, extreme lengths in being harsh towards their body, potentially seeing the body as a bad thing and therefore subjugating it in a way that they didn't need to. The Bible um, says that uh, the word here in the passage is uh, sarx, which is for flesh. The Bible often talks about the flesh um, in, a, in a way which is negative, but sometimes positive as well. Our bodies are just good. God made them good, but they can be used for evil. And so the Colossians there were harshly treating their bodies in a way that they didn't need to, trying to go to extreme lengths to discipline themselves. That's the second thing. And thirdly, they were focusing on these religious festivals. It talks about the annual festivals, the monthly moon festival, the Sabbath, and they were uh, really focused on all the festivals. Nothing wrong with a festival, But they need to be careful as to how they participated and the attachment of value on the festivals. The festivals themselves uh, weren't bad. So what we've got here is a number of practices um, which were going on. And Paul critiques them. And in verse uh, just towards the end of that passage, he says, These things which you've been trusting in are, this is verse 22, are destined to perish with use. So, all of those things do not touch, do not taste, do not handle uh, all the, the meat and so on, those are rules which are destined to perish. The festivals you're participating in, they're destined to perish. The things that you're trusting in to make you pleasing to God are destined to perish. How can we apply that to ourselves? Because we aren't having moon festivals. Um, we're not celebrating the, the, the new year, new month um, each month. We We've got some celebrations here, but it's quite difficult for us to trans transpose that into our lives here. But this is uh, hopefully helpful to you. All of us are tempted to trust our lives with things, in things that will perish. We're all tempted to put our trust in things that will perish. So it might be a relationship. We're putting our, our trust in a relationship. To help us. It might be that we're putting our trust in our finances to help us. It might be we're putting our trust in our possessions. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but if we're putting them as ultimate things in our lives and trusting in those things more than we're trusting in Jesus, if we're trusting in those things more then we're trusting in Jesus, then ultimately we've misunderstood the whole purpose of Jesus coming. 
because Jesus said, you can completely trust in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus always talked about himself. You can trust in Jesus. So if you took a summary, let's take a summary of that passage uh, we've just had. There's all kinds of things that you can trust in, but my message perhaps for you today is you might be putting your trust in something. It might be becoming so important to you, more important than Jesus, and I'm here to tell you on behalf of Paul that thing will perish. That, that recognition that you're looking for, it will perish. All those finances that you're holding on to, they will perish. That beautiful dream that you had in your life, one day it will perish. But Jesus and your faith in Jesus will remain Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in him. So that's a, a summary. There's six technical reasons why I'd like to say that Paul is using to say those things that you're putting your trust in, then they're not working. They're not going to work. And uh, these are the six things in, in the, uh, uh, the verses um, which I've um, uh, categorized and summarized together. Um, so first of all, they're putting their trust in the, the festival of the month, the, the Sabbath, the annual festival. And they're mixing it all up with the worship of angels. So they are, they've taken the mess of Jesus. And what they've done is they've kept their traditions. And they've put in um, an elevation of angels, which is one of the verses in verse um, uh, verse um, 16 and in verse 18, and you are worshiping angels. And the whole point of Colossians is that uh, Paul is saying Jesus is, is the supreme one. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the one you should be worshiping. And you've ended up worshiping something lower than, than Jesus. You've mixed it all up. You've taken the cultural the tr cultural traditions from here. You've taken a bit of paganism and worship of spiritual beings from here. You've mixed it all together. You've denigrated Jesus and you're left with this mix up. That's the first thing. It's all mixed up. The word that we could use for that for today is syncretism, is the blending of faith in Jesus with a culture of a time. In, in lots of different ways and across the world, the culture, um, uh, uh, people who've gone to other cultures with the message of Jesus, they've got to work out what is central to the message of Jesus and what is uh, culturally uh, can be taken on and what can be culturally uh, left. And, and it happens today in this world. I was... Um, on an alpha course, and somebody said that their friend, they were worshipping Jesus, and they were practicing crystals, and they were also um, worshipping Mary. And they were saying, is that okay? Well, the answer is, it's a form of syncretism, where you've blended Christian faith, and you've mixed it all up together with something else. And this is exactly what's happening in the church in Colossae. Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't mix it all up like that. Focus on Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus. Do not 
place Jesus alongside these other things. Keep your heart of worship on Jesus. That's the first thing. It can be mixed up if you mix it all together and it can be just become a mess. So that's the first thing is it becomes mixed up. Secondly, uh, it was bad for their egos. If you end up trusting in something that you have done, like a religious festival, or you've, you've nothing wrong with the Sabbath, if the Sabbath is good, but if you end up trusting in the Sabbath to make you feel like you are close to God, you're acceptable to God, if you start to, f- if you start to trust these things, then it gives you an ego, And this is what Paul is saying. And two times he talks about a false humility, which is making yourself downplaying yourself in order to uh, get praise. And also he says you're puffed up, verse 18. You're puffed up with pride. Why not focus on things of this world? It's because we will start to either feel disappointed if we're not doing very well with those things or we'll feel really proud if we're doing well. Don't trust those practices. Don't trust those things because you'll just end up with an inflated ego, Paul is saying. So that's the second one. The first one is it all gets mixed up. The second technical reason is that it's bad for the ego. The third one is they're starting to experience only a shadow of the real thing. And so uh, Paul writes it like this. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to the religious festival and new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are but a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. So they focus, if you focused on just doing the Sabbath really well and you get so intent on the Sabbath and the practices of the Sabbath, you forget why the Sabbath is, is there. The, the Sabbath is just a shadow of Jesus. It's just a shadow. If you walk along uh, a street, there's the real you, and then there's a shadow of you if the sun is shining. The shadow is just a reflection. It's just, it's just, it's not real. The reality is myself. The shadow just shows my outline. The religious festivals, the Sabbath, all of those things with just a shadow of Jesus. And what had happened to the people in Colossae, they had forgotten to focus on the reality of Jesus. The reality of Jesus. Keep Jesus central, Paul is saying. That's the third reason. Uh, The fourth reason, that they'd lost their connection to Jesus. And so he writes to them, In verse 19, these people, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. They had lost their love. They'd lost their focus on Jesus. Well, it was really nice to hear from Denise earlier how she has her time at three with JC, the cup of tea. It all rhymes really nicely together. She sits down and just has that focused time 
with Jesus. I feel like Paul would be delighted to hear that because it feels as though they'd lost their connection to the head of the church, Jesus. The fourth reason uh, that what they were doing was not working was that it was undermining the whole death and resurrection of Jesus. So, uh, Paul writes in verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? So, basically, the Bible says that when you come to follow Jesus, you are united with him in his death. That's what Paul is saying here. And in in, uh, chapter 3, it talks about being united with him in his resurrection. You are united with Jesus in his death. Why does Paul use that language? You're united with him in his death. And why does Paul think that's important? Romans can help us with this a little bit. Uh, Romans 6, verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should be no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So anyone who's died has been set free from sin. So that's why Paul says you're no longer a slave to sin. Sin is no longer the overarching master of your life. You have been set free. So just as Jesus died In him, and you're united with Jesus, you have also died. And at that point, your old self died. Your rebellion against God died. All the things that separate you from God also died. That's the message of Jesus. And it's profoundly, I mean, it is the message. It is the the gospel message Uh, John Piper, the writer and author, writes it like this. The old self is the me that was rebellious against God and insubordinate to God's law and blind to God's glory and unbelieving towards his promises. The old me was crucified with Christ. When Christ died, God counted the old sinful me as dying with him. So that's the really great news because sometimes we think about our, 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 our sinful nature, our, our, our rebellion against God as though it's um, really powerful. But actually that's not what the Bible says. When you have Jesus in you, you're no longer a slave to sin. He's given you a whole new operating system, a whole new desire, a desire 
for the holiness of God, which is now in you, and your old self has died. And what Paul is saying here is that you've died, therefore you don't need to trust in all these other things that you're trusting in to make you acceptable to God. You don't need that anymore. Do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. That's just nothing. Don't you understand? God, Jesus has died and he's dealt with all of your sins. You don't need anything else to make you acceptable to God. You are united with Christ in death. You have died to Christ. Your old self has been crucified with Christ and therefore you're no longer a slave to sin. And if you ignore all of that, then you're living as though Christ's death is nothing. That's why Paul is really, really motivated by that. Something to talk about in your hubs if you are looking at this talk over this next um, few days in your hubs. The significance of being uh, dying with Christ. And this, lastly, the sixth thing that uh, Paul draws out is that all of that stuff, if you're trying to self-discipline yourself, you're trying to change, you're harsh treating your body, none of that has got any value at all in restraining, Paul says, sensual indulgence. Those desires uh, that we have which are against God. What are those desires? It goes through it in Colossians uh, chapter 3 and starts to outline what some of those desires are, and that will be uh, for next week. But um, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, all of those things, they're not going to be helped by self-will. They're not going to be helped by just trying to restrain yourself a little bit more, by just trying a bit harder, by just focusing more on not being like that. All of those desires are not going to be helped by those earthly things. The only way to combat those desires in us, the desire for malice, for greed, for impurity, the only way is to focus on Jesus first. And as we focus on Jesus first, we have a new desire, and that is the way that we are changed and transformed. Those other ways have got no value at all. Thomas Chalmers the, uh, was a Scottish writer. He was a most prolific pastor teacher in the 1780s, 1847. This message of Jesus, this way of changing, never changed the same 2,000 years ago, same in the 1700s, same today. And I've talked about this before. He wrote a famous sermon entitled The Expulsive Power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. And he argued that we simply can't tell ourselves to stop sinning. We can't just have enough self-control to do it by ourselves. It just doesn't work. We need to direct the desires towards something that truly satisfies and liberates us, God himself. 
So he puts it like this. You've got a, a child with a rusty knife. That child enjoys that rusty knife. The child likes the rusty knife. If you tell the child to get, stop having that rusty knife, the child will cling on to the rusty knife. How do you stop that child holding on to that rusty knife? Give the child a sweet to hold. The child will drop the rusty knife and then hold on to the sweet. What you've done there, you've given that child a greater desire. A desire which stops them doing one thing and starts doing another. And this is what Paul is saying here. How, how do you stop those, those indulgences that we are all drawn towards? Put in a greater desire. If you're drawn to slander, there's a desire in you. Why, why, why do we slander? Why, why do we uh, gossip about other people? Why do we talk about other people in a way that's not uh, nice for them? Why, why are we drawn to that? Why, why is that desire there? It's, it's probably a desire for approval for ourselves might be a desire for revenge. There's a desire underneath every action which is against God, any rebellion against God, there's a desire underneath it. Replace it with a desire for Jesus, a love for Jesus, and you will find that desire goes, and you've now stopping slandering but you're starting to focus on Jesus. You've replaced the idol of human approval with the worship of Jesus. And Paul is saying here, that's how you have to combat all those desires which draw you away from, from goodness. And you can combat them by refocusing your heart on Jesus. Because anything else yeah, becomes an idol and it will draw you away from Jesus and it will harm you. The only way to do that is by putting Jesus first and devoting, devoting your heart to Jesus. And that's the way we see change in our life. So if there's something that you are struggling with and you can't, you can't control it and you can't work it out, the answer is not to have a greater self-will, but to replace it with a greater love of Jesus. Um, so there, there is, those are the six reasons that uh, Paul gives. Don't mix up, don't synchronize the faith. It's not good for your ego. It's just a shadow you lose connection with Jesus. It undermines the fact that you've actually died and united with Jesus in his death and it's got no value in creating change in your life. But the message is, don't trust in those things that will perish, but trust in the things that will last forever, fully known in Jesus and his death and resurrection.